0: Thank <laughs> you. talk about the cardinals all night
1: long we're gonna talk about the cardinals all night long. good evening and welcome into another edition of meet me at mutual i'm your host daniel shopdahl c70 is about at c70 on twitter al medlock still out doing the baseball and uh, high school sports thing um so we've got in Our good friend Kyle Reese from Birds on the Black and Kyle R416 on Twitter, even though that's not the handle he ever gives out when people ask. Um, You don't know what it does to me when I get people following me and then they wonder why I'm not talking about prospects, Kyle.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they're not even worried about how how come this guy isn't talking about prospects? It's how come this guy isn't talking about those crazy things that I just heard on the radio or podcast (laughs) or whatever
1: and this guy seems to have a shirt on I, I don't know what's going on so
0: yeah
1: exactly um, uh good to have you on um and we'll get we're gonna get it really into the and in the prospects because that's you know if we at one of these days we're gonna have you on and we're not gonna talk about a single prospect just to confuse people um but today is not that day um but let's talk a little bit maybe about the world baseball classic and i think that ties in too, right there's some minor leaguers going Along with the big the names that we know on some of these rosters, are you interested to watch the, the World Baseball Classic?
0: Yeah, I'll probably tune in. I I'm excited to consume competitive baseball as soon as possible,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's really my only thought. Yeah, you know the yeah without like really monopolizing all the time at the beginning. Yeah, the, the the some of those kids are really exciting. They're not going to ever be like top of the line prospects in the organization, but you know I immediately think of someone like Noah Menlinger who is a contact monster and a pretty solid defensive third baseman and second baseman in the Cardinals organization who went undrafted that the Cardinals signed as an undrafted free agent. And he was one of the guys that got me really excited because I had no idea that he was on the short list anywhere. And, you know, to find out that he's a, he's going to be representing Israel is a really awesome Mm -hmm. thing that gets me, that gets me excited. And of course, you know, with LJ Jones and one of my personal favorite pitching prospects, Wilfredo Pereira pitching in it, like, for me, I'll be just as excited to watch those guys represent their country as I will be to watch Mason Wynn and Jordan Walker compete for the Cardinals in spring training. Uh, that And that's that's kind of just how my interests align.
1: Yeah. I, I think it's, I mean, you know, the good thing at least about the World Baseball Classic, no matter what you think about it, is it's just more games to watch on, on each day um, because we do have, you know, whatever the Cardinals are broadcast plus, you know, whatever these teams are playing. Um, but yeah, you get a chance to know a little bit about the, some of these guys that we might not ever have heard about. Um, I think it's interesting. Also, Oscar Mercado is is, is yeah. playing somewhere. Um, and, you know, I keep forgetting that he's come back to the organization. Um, but I, I don't know. I just thought it was really cool. And I think it's really cool that what the Cardinals have 19 players going. I think that's like the most of any roster really close to it. I think it's pretty neat that the Cardinals are so open to letting these guys go play. I mean, obviously you're not going to have your, your top prospects, like you said, but at least letting some of these guys get a chance to have this kind of experience is a, a really cool thing. And on
0: top of that, you know, uh, you you can go ahead and like add one for Wilson Contreras, who would have been a part mm-hmm. of a team and mm-hmm. which does nothing for the guys who might have turned down opportunities, because I've heard that there are a couple minor leaguers who turned down the opportunity uh, because they wanted to maybe put themselves in a position to, to make an impression at camp. Um, But yeah, it's awesome. It's really awesome. I think that the Rays might be a team. I saw Matt Germain, who covers like Rays prospects. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He tweeted out something about the Rays having a lot of players too. I didn't do like get an official count or anything like that, but yeah, look uh, more competitive baseball is not a bad thing. And we we worry and reasonably so about what this means for miles Michaelis or uh, we focus on Michaelis and Waino, and but the guy that I'm worried about is like Gallegos. But beyond mm. that, like, I, I, I think it's good that we're getting professional baseball in a competitive manner early on. And, and then when you hear the rhetoric coming from like Nolan Arnato, who says that he felt like it got him more ready back in 2017 for the this, this season than he ever has been ready entering the season, that gets me excited as well.
1: Course, the cautionary tale for Cardinal fans at least is Mitchell Boggs, right? I mean, who went to the World Baseball Classic and never seemed to be the same. I don't know if there's a direct connection there or not, but it never, you know, there was at least that casual connection. All right, is that any concern of yours, or do you think they've figured this out a little bit better about how to get people ready and how, how to play the games competitively while not necessarily taxing people? How dare you bring up Mitchell Boggs?
0: <laughs> how dare you? Huh? Okay, it's I don't know what you're podcast. trying to do here. <laughs> no. Uh yeah, it's terrible. Thank you, Daniel. So, no, they haven't figured out anything and life is miserable.
1: That's probably fair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um well hopefully they've figured a few things out. Because I you know, you cause you mentioned Egos, you know, and He's a guy that, you know, I I've been a little bit I've just been a little bit concerned about anyway, and I probably shouldn't be. I think it's I think it's small sample bias and just where I'm seeing, but, you know, with pitch clock change and with other things and just the general (sighs) fluctuations in bullpen guys, you know, to add a little bit of something like this onto that, that's just another, you know, wrinkle that may not matter, probably won't matter, but, you know, until we get into the season, we don't know.
0: Yeah. And really to, you know, to answer your, your, your question or to compliment your point a, a little bit more, you know, honestly, like, we just don't know with mm-hmm. with it being five years, six years removed now at this point from the last world baseball classic, there's just no possible way to really anticipate how it's going to affect who it affects. Like all of the guys we're talking about other than Arenado and Goldschmidt doesn't really count because he didn't really play. Uh, didn't, didn't participate in the last world baseball classic. So it's not like a lot of yep. these guys are going to come in with advanced knowledge of what their bodies felt like or how they recovered or, You know how they adjusted to competitive level in early March—that rivals what you might feel in September. So yeah, like I, I, it's definitely warrants being a little concerned, and uh, for me, interested to see how how it all develops during the World Baseball Classic, both uh, during the World Baseball Classic for those players, as well as what goes on at spring training for the guys who aren't a part of that, and also how. You know, when we get into June, how it's affected all of the players and the roster and and what the Cardinals look like.
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing, right? We're not going to know. It's not like somebody's going to come out and struggle in April because they did this. It's going to be, yeah, June or July when they might be getting a second win that they don't have because of playing competitive baseball. I don't, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm definitely excited about the World Baseball Classic. I don't want to sound like I'm thinking they shouldn't do it. But, you know, there are wrinkles to it. And there's not a there's never a good time to play a situation like that. Um, I think, I think spring training is probably the only time you can do it. Um, but you know, that brings its own obstacles too.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I, I think I'd be a little bit more worried about it if this was 1984 or 1994 Mm -hmm. or 2004, when, you know, you hear the stories about guys who, you know, did some binge drinking and binge eating for three (laughs) months in the off season and then, uh, came to camp and their, their, the entire purpose of camp was to get in baseball playing shape. And that doesn't happen anymore. These guys mm-hmm. take like two and a half weeks off, and then their life is back to baseball. So I, I guess I'm just not as worried about it from from that from that aspect. But I mean, I, I you do, it's one of those ends justifying the means things. You don't you don't fully worry about it until Adam Wainwright and Miles Michaelis are on the IL for the for the last four months of the season.
1: Yeah, let's let's knock on wood. Hope that doesn't actually happen. But you're right. I mean, you, you just you don't know. You don't know um and then but you're right and you mentioned that what else we're going to get to there now you're right there are more openings with so many guys being gone for spring training does this make this spring training more interesting to you than in a in the what there's been in the in the past few years it well depends on the last it. couple years you know has not actually had them so other than that yeah.
0: it depends on how it goes so mm-hmm. i i'm just like everybody else i'm anxious to see what uh these players away at the world baseball classic means for someone like Jordan Walker or Mason Wynn, um, you know, even Alec Burleson or Juan Yepes or Nolan Gorman. But for me, my interest has always been more, you know, even when Dylan Carlson was a prospect or Tyler O'Neill was a prospect or Tommy Edmond was a prospect. My interest has always been more about the guys who are deeper, deeper sleepers. Like, you know, two years ago, I wanted to see Juan Yepes and what that was like Mm -hmm. this year it's those guys far down that aren't invited to Major League Camp that will find their way for at-bats or innings uh, from Minor League Camp once Minor League Camp fires up in March. Those are the guys that I'm anxious to see. So I I wouldn't say it's going to have that much of an effect on me because I think the Cardinals will focus a lot of those at-bats on the guys that they're still trying to evaluate for the Major League roster, the the guys on the cusp. Uh, Mm -hmm. But my hope is that, And my interest will be piqued if guys like, uh, you know, players we've talked about that a lot of, you know, your regular Cardinal fans aren't that interested in. You know, if we see Chandler Redman or an, you know, outfielder who uh, only the second professional or an affiliated ball to hit for the the home run cycle or Mm -hmm. Matt Kaperniak, who is an undrafted free agent who crushes righties or Chase Pinder, who is an outfielder from Clemson that the Cardinals drafted in the seventh round of, I think, 2017 who just hasn't been able to stay healthy, who's 27 and got his first taste of AAA last year. Like, uh, those are the guys that I'm anxious to see. And, you know, from a pitching side, it's it's Wilking Rodriguez. It's Logan Sawyer, uh, a pitcher they picked up from Independent Ball who made a name for himself through Pitching Ninja. Um, th- those those are the guys, Guillermo Zuniga, Guillermo Zuniga who they just signed um, to the 40-man who had never pitched above A in the Dodgers system. Those are the guys I'm anxious to see, because I think some of these guys could be sleepers and players that make a major league debut in the next year. And I think some of these guys are going to rise to the challenge if they're given the ability and the opportunity to rise to that challenge. So uh, the very the very long way to answer that question was that. The, the short way is I am excited for spring training, and I'm excited to see how the all the at-bats and all the innings shake out beyond just the prospects that we spend a lot of time talking about.
1: Have you been down to spring training? I, I can't remember.
0: Just once, okay. um, and every year I threaten to go, and uh, we were thinking about going this year, but my work is weird, but yeah, no, so I've only I've only ever been down once, and every other year I think about going.
1: Yeah, and then, and then a huge snowstorm hits St. Louis, and you have no yeah, choice. So.
0: Exactly. What about you? Have you been down there?
1: No, oh. no, because this is, I mean, besides just mm. other reasons, this is not a time where I get off very much either, so. Yeah, I didn't think um, about that. Yeah, so it, it does tend to uh, become an issue, but, um, but I have a feeling that if you did, and maybe the time you did go, you didn't spend a whole lot of time on the main fields anyway. You were in the back fields and and stuff like that. And you're right that that doesn't necessarily change. You know, the the faces may change a little bit, but the the whole prospect idea is it's going to be the same even even with a lot of big names gone.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's the gist of it. I yeah. the other thing I maybe from like a grand scheme of things, we spend a lot of time talking about the players that are going to be gone. And I don't really know the whole like shakeout of how, how the competition is going to go exactly. But I think we're kind of overestimating how long some of these guys Mm -hmm. are going to be gone. Um, You know, they're going to get eliminated and they're going to be back Mm -hmm. in camp. And so I, I, you know, I I don't know who's going to be on those teams. I don't know what teams are going to be eliminated. Uh, But, I think you know you would expect that Team USA is going to be around for a while. You know uh, the Dominican Republic team, the Cuban team, uh, South Korea. I think is has always had a um, a great showing, like th- those same teams. But I, you know, I no disrespect to Canada, who I love with <laughs> all my heart, and the product that has come from Canada, Tyler O'Neill, who have well documented that I love with all my heart. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Tyler O'Neill isn't gone all that long. Right. So, I, I think maybe we are also investing a little too much into how frequently or how 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 absent some of these players are going to be. I I, don't,
1: I didn't I don't haven't heard so I guess not. But Stubby's not involved with the coaching staff of Canada, is he?
0: I don't believe so. I don't believe right. uh, the Cardinals are coaching affected.
1: Yeah, I hadn't heard anything about that, so I assume not. But uh, yeah, and I mean, and you know, the Cardinals want to see Tyler O'Neill as well. I mean, he's got his own, uh, brand of questions to come into camp. So, you know, I'm not saying they're rooting for Canada to lose, but they're not going to be heartbroken if they do. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. It, Daniel would, is that how you would, you, I know you kind of just like, uh, gloss over it, but like, what are your general feelings about the world baseball classic? Like, I, I know you say, hard time to play it, you know, not a good time, um, having concerns about injuries, but do you, are you interested in it? Or are you getting excited about it?
1: Well, Kyle, first of all, this is my podcast and I ask the questions. Um, yeah. I am not taking questions at this time. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I am. I am excited about it. I, I like the, <laughs> um, you know, I like the idea of, you know, the, the, the Asian games that are on at early in the morning and, and getting a chance to watch a, you know, you to see, like I was I saw the a tweet today about you know Lance Lynn being on that team and to be able to see Lance Lynn and, and Adam Wainwright on the same right. team again, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, it's interesting to see the you know kind of a shuffling of the deck and and seeing some players that usually are fight. It's kind of like the all star game a little bit, right? You know, you see players playing together that don't usually, um, although it does, like I said, with so many cardinals going, it does it does kind of feel like it's very cardinal centric, but um, yeah, I think it's cool, I think it's a good idea, I think it's just like the London games and the games of Puerto Rico and Mm -hmm. Mexico and all that kind of stuff, you know, baseball does need to continue to reach out globally. And I think this is a good way to do it. It's very interesting to me that it's gone up to 20 teams this year. And I mean, you start, you know, I think if you just kind of name off the top of your head, baseball, you know, baseball countries, you wouldn't get to 20. And then you see people like Israel playing and uh, South Africa and, and things like that. And it's like, wow, this 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 has got to reach that I think we here in America maybe underestimate because of how football dominates the culture. Um, and so it's it's very cool to see that it's kind of taking root other places.
0: I do too. I like the fact that like the Netherlands – Became a story mm-hmm. in and of itself because of some of the players' names. That was really exciting yeah. for me. Uh, you know, I think I think it might have been VHS. It might have been a couple different people that I saw on Twitter who were like, Lars Newtbar's name would be like a tame name for Team Netherlands, and that's <laughs> that's fun. Like that, I don't know what to expect out of Team Netherlands. I right. I, I know that that's a gr- the sport is growing pretty fast. Uh, the Cardinals have a kid from the Netherlands. Uh, named Adari Grant, I believe. I think I'm pretty sure he's from the, the Netherlands. But that sport, um, that sport is growing. And th- this sport, baseball, is growing in the mm-hmm. Netherlands, and that's awesome. And the fact that we're all going to watch them and talk about like snorfrackle Element Son or whatever the hell his name <laughs> is uh, is is a really exciting thing. Like I, I, I think that's going to be fun. I think the fact that you can have these individual stories about uh, embedded within individual cultures all embraced their own baseball is really exciting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And to see how other, you know, other areas we, we we know about the Dominican and how, how those games are very raucous and stuff like that. But to see how other teams like the Netherlands or whatever, and their fan bases, you know, how they react to things, uh, it's it's cool as well. So I like it. I know that there's some people that, you know, again, probably do hate the idea of, of the risk of injury or, you know, losing these guys. Cause if you're, if you're making a trip to spring training this year, you know, and you wanted to see Goldschmidt, and Arenado, then obviously you're not going to unless you get there early, probably. Um, so I get that, but I think those are small prices to pay for what this does for baseball in general.
0: Yeah, early or late, it's if if you want to see the the names you're buying jerseys for, you're going to have to get there early or late.
1: Yeah. Um, let's talk about um. And I know you and, and Brendan did this on his podcast when you weren't talking about how old I am. Um but let's talk about that poll and and the uh that you put up. I want to talk morning. about how old you are. Yeah I know you do. But uh, <laughs> I won't be I won't be able to hear you when you do so it's okay. Um
0: <laughs> because you're gonna fall asleep because we're recording at nine thirty which is three hours past your bedtime.
1: Uh, well you know I, I make adjustments. Um <laughs> and I, I think I have had my you know four Dr. Peppers and three Mountain Dews so I should be okay. Um <laughs> <laughs> but you were, you had a, a really good poll this this week or last week. I, I don't remember now. Um, you know, kind of tempering expectations to some degree, right? You you put up the idea of if Jordan Walker has a uh, career of JD Drew is that successful? A lot of people didn't think so. Then you know you put up Matt Holiday and people say, oh yeah, that's great. And are you were you? I know that you have spent a lot of time, and it's one of the things I think is is really awesome about what you do trying to put reasonable expectations on these kids. You're not one that's going to say Jordan Walker is the next Ted Williams. You know, you're like Jordan Walker is JT Drew or stuff like that. I, were you a little bit, I don't want to say disappointed, but maybe that's the right word, that the reaction came out that way when you have tried to do so much educating on how hard it is to be a major league player?
0: I I would say I was disappointed. You know, I um, especially because it was my poll with my followers. But, you know, that mm-hmm. that that thing ends up having a life of its own at that right, point. Right. I think I think that I was a little bit more encouraged because there were three things that kind of came out of the J.D. Drew section of it. One of them was people would come in and say, well, I, I don't think I realized how good of a career J.D. Drew had, which was one of the mm-hmm. things I was going for. Um, the, the second thing that would happen is people would say. Well, you know, J.D. was hurt all the time. And then like a subcategory of that was he hated playing baseball, which (laughs) shows you just how uneducated a lot of fans are and how they're willing to just kind of buy into whatever uh, narrative they can they can over exaggerate. You know, J.D. saw the business of the He understood the business of the sport at a young age and the young part of his career. And the business drove how he played the game as opposed to playing it with the passion of a child and we, we shoehorn that into something else. And then the third part of it was, yeah, you know, if, if we trade him for the organization's best pitching pitcher since Bob Gibson, <laughs> then, then it's a win. And uh, so, you know, I, I guess when you see the branches that come off the pole and maybe the, the, the reasons why people feel the way that they do about it, then you, you start to realize it a little bit more, but uh, you know, I, I would say just it bums me out that people don't realize how hard it is to be good at baseball and i get it because we watch it every night and you know for a really long time baseball was a sport that everyone played uh so your generation and my generation because your generation is like three decades older than mine
1: uh <laughs> we we <laughs> We used rocks so
0: yeah exactly you (laughs) use rocks and i we didn't even like we were whatever the precursor the the middle ground was between rocks (laughs) and a baseball uh but like you know i I think the problem is we all play baseball and we all are really bad at baseball and but the thing about baseball is even though you're all really bad it's just various levels of good in baseball because it's a sport Built on failure, right? So it's hard to differentiate exactly what a good baseball player is and a bad baseball player is until they're at the major league level. And seventeen hits over five hundred at bats is the difference between hitting two thirty and two sixty or whatever. Um, so all of that is just a, a rant to say that yeah, it, I was bummed out by it, and it does drive me to be to be on this what I'll call a high horse or to take the moral high ground. Uh, and, and continue to push the narrative and, and what I will call educating and other people will call preaching, um, to, to help inform people that it's not easy to be JD drew there. Any of the prospects in the Cardinals organization, including Jordan Walker, if they turn out to have the same career that JD drew had, then that is a victory over the Cardinals draft with their first round draft pick in 2023. If that player has a career of JD drew or even Jason Marquis. uh, that is a victory it's not it's not the top of the line it's not um you know it, it's not the kind of thing that you're going to tell your kids about necessarily but it's still a great career that needs to be talked about I, Daniel I will be 100% candid with you something you and I have talked about a lot uh part of the reason I got into this is I used to get really frustrated at people and, and I stopped and I'm, I'm not I don't know how to do this without not being delicate so we'll get into it uh, <laughs> I started doing this because I got very frustrated at what was going on over at Viva Alberto's many, many years ago. There was a guy there who would compare uh, James uh, 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 James Ramsey to like Matt Kemp when Matt Kemp was winning an MVP. And I stopped reading everything that Viva Alberto's was doing because of it. I stopped reading other prospects lists. It was frustrating as somebody who watched those kids nine in and nine out that You know, and then Charlie Tilson, it was supposed to be the next Ricky Henderson or something like that. (laughs) And when you trade him for Zach Duke, who ends up playing a huge role in the bullpen for the Cardinals that year, people lose their minds and it's because there's unreal expectations there's unreal levity being put on players uh Mm -hmm. and what you can expect from them and their value in trades which also frustrated me because then the front office isn't getting a fair shake and i don't really care if they get a fair shake or not but i just like to see people get as fair of a shake as possible so that when the prospects aren't and when your perspective isn't and my perspective isn't, I am frustrated by it. And that's why I started doing this. That's why I started writing about prospects and gifting and doing all this. It's because, because of that. So that does drive me to a great deal. The, the perspective perspective of it all is what I pride myself in. Cause I'm not really good at anything else.
1: Well, it, it does help. And I think that, you know, again, I think that's, that's really great because it is, it's a lot of fun to say, Oh, he's going to be like this guy or that guy. But that just did not happen. If that happened, then those guys wouldn't be special, right? I mean, if everybody turned out to be Albert Pujols, then we wouldn't even think about Albert Pujols because there's, you know, a hundred of them. So um, I I do like that. And I do think, you know, you've done a really good job of telling people, look, if they make it up for 50 at-bats in the major leagues, that's that's a success. They've, they've become a major league player and that doesn't happen to everybody. If you want to troll people though, ask them if uh, Jordan Walker will do as well as Colby Rasmus. I um, so that
0: that actually almost happened. I came pretty close, <laughs> but I'll be honest, I was worn out.
1: I Oh I imagine.
0: I was pretty worn out at that point. Uh you know, it's just as we talk about prospects and their hype and how what would be a disappointment or not. Like I think about mm-hmm. Mason Wynn and Sean Grichendorf on, on uh Twitter put this, this this thought out and it's something that I've talked about on pad before, but like Mason Wynn is fascinating because I think you could make an argument that and I love Mason Wynn. And I think that he mm-hmm. has a ceiling that's through the roof. I think he could be a perennial all-star. I think that that potential is there. I, I don't think it's likely, but I think that potential is there. And the thought process, the thought experiment is, if Mason Wynn ends up having a career like Tommy Edmond, with all of that war tied heavily into defense, but with a little pop here and there, is that, and again, with great defense at short, is that a win? And to me, that's a mm-hmm. huge win. Now- right it would, there's a good chance that it would disappoint a large portion of the fan base. And I think that undervalues Tommy Edmond, which is something that I am guilty of in the past, um, but also doesn't give Mason Wynn a fair chance to have a really, really good major league career. And that bums me out.
1: Yeah. And it's, and it's impossible to do because, because of where we are, not just what you've done, but yeah, what Fangraphs does, what, what um, anybody else does, Baseball America and all that, you know, 15 years ago, we've talked about this too. Nobody knew about anybody in the, you knew about the top guy or two in the minor leagues. You didn't know about the guy that was coming up at a ball or something like that. I, I don't think anybody probably 15 years ago knows that much about Tink Hintz. For instance, you know, yeah. because it's coming up, and now because we study these guys, and to, in part because the owners have made such a big deal about minor league talent because it's cheaper, um, you know, people know, and those expectations can get raised. I think, you know, if if you could just say in a vacuum, okay, Jordan Walker is going to have this career, then you say, oh yeah, that's great. But when all these people are saying, hey, he's going to be you know, one of the best players in baseball, then, you know, it's more a reaction to the hype than it is to what the player does. And the player has no control over that.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And that, that's the bum me out of it all. And, uh, you know, to be honest, like the organization and the rhetoric that comes from John Mazalak in particular, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, I think that drives, drives it more than anything else. Because now, and I've been thinking about this more and more. Now, sure, you have Walker on every national top 10 list, top 15 list and prospects in baseball. And, you know, Mason Wynn and Tim Kentz in particular are on everybody's top 50 prospects, top 75 prospects in baseball. And then you have a spattering of Libertor here and there and Graceffo here and there. Eventually, we'll have Jerpy there. More than likely, Jonathan Mejia over the next couple of months will find his way on there, as will maybe Jimmy Crooks and uh, Leonardo Bernal. But... Uh, as, as these guys gain national attention from a prospect standpoint, it's to me, the damage is done through the organization's hype of these prospects. And when, when you hear them talk about, you know, Michael McGreevy, uh, being a potential option in 2023. You, you have fans who are excited about that, and that's not a Major League pitcher. That's not a pitcher that's close to being Major League ready, no matter how good his command is. He's he's very far off, and he has a lot of retooling to do. And the fact that we're even talking about Michael McGreevy, even though he was a first-round draft pick, even though he made it to Double A in his first full year in the organization, is a tragedy because it's not fair to him, it's not fair to the fans, and it's not fair to the Cardinals, To and it's not smart of the Cardinals. It's whatever, fair or not, but it's not smart of the Cardinals yeah. to think that that's going to be a pitcher that they're going to be able to rely on. And it sets everyone up for failure, right? It, fan expectation, the Cardinals, and also the player up for failure. And that bums me out. That bugs me. And I do wish the Cardinals, uh, even though, you know, on, on Blogger Day, John Mazelak was pretty clear to be, say that he likes people who follow the organization, um, you know, who, who talk about prospects and write about their prospects. Uh, and I think, and again, I'm not trying to like condemn John Mazelak here, but I wonder how much of it is it allows him more breathing room Uh, To make mistakes. And Mm -hmm. because if there's always the next guy that you can go to who's always getting that hype, who always has the fans excited, Mm -hmm. like Jordan Walker does or Mason Wynn or all of the guys we've talked about, then you always have a, a safe place, right? You always have a bomb shelter. And it's one thing if you believe in those players, and it's another thing if you're leveraging the hype to create a little cushion for yourself. And I never thought about it that way until recently, when I've been thinking more and more about how John Mozeliak has been talking about these prospects in the recent past.
1: Does that also run the risk of blowing up on him though? Just because as we were talking about, if you can't trade, you know, at the deadline, we're like, well, why don't you get X, Y, or Z? Cause you've got these prospects that you can deal. And when the organization looks at them differently than MLB does I mean again I don't think most fans necessarily look at it like you do on that regard but is that a like a you know so occasionally it's like wait a minute are are they do they not understand what they have
0: yeah yeah I mean I think so but I'm not sure either you know like Mm -hmm. uh, the hope becomes that if the if it continues for a long enough period of time that everybody will get wise to it you know there's there's people who have been if that is what they're doing, that is, there are people that have been wise to it for years now while the rest of the optimists and the realists, you know, uh, try to, try to be as reasonable as possible or as optimistic as possible. And I mean, my assumption is that if I, if myself, if if Mm -hmm. me, if I, as someone who kind of prides himself or tries to be as realistic or as empathetic about a, a person's ability to make the Cardinals as good as possible with resources at their fingertips, I'm starting to wonder about these things. Then my hope would be that a larger part of the part of the fan page fan base is thinking about it critically at the very least, you know, not in a condemning fashion, because that doesn't do anybody any good, but in a, in a way where we're all, problem solving and looking for answers instead of being pointing our fingers and condemning.
1: The organization's also been accused, I think by a lot of people and I've put myself in this to you as their value of their prospects is higher than everybody. It's not that they, they truly believe this. I don't want to say they're not like blowing, you know, trying to blow somebody up. They truly believe this. And when they get out to make trades, they're not, able to make a trade because they feel like their prospects are 10%, 15%, 20% better than what everybody's offering them. Is that something that's accurate, do you think? Or do you think they're getting a, a better feel for what these guys really are?
0: Now, Daniel, you you nailed it, and this is where I think like when you become a, a little bit more realistic about all of this, where where it gives you pause about being condemning towards the front office, because there isn't an organization that does more with picks four through. You know, a fourth round mm-hmm. picks through the end of the draft now, with the draft being twenty rounds, than the Cardinals do. The data backs it up from a WAR standpoint, from a production standpoint, from a value per dollar standpoint. There isn't an organization that does it better than the Cardinals have done it for the last decade. So, between the scouting department and the player development department, there is reason to think that some of those what some of those national quote fringe players. That the Cardinals turn into everyday players or difference makers or part-time players or whatever that the Cardinals seem to get the most out of. There, there is truth that those are the players who drive a lot of the Cardinals belief that they can continue to get production above um, reason as compared to a lot of other organizations. So yeah, no, I definitely think that plays into it. And I don't think that that's going to stop anytime soon. I think you're going to continue to get players like Brendan Donovan and Juan Yepes throughout the organization who are going to outkick their coverage from a scouting standpoint, because they're guys that you can't appreciate unless you're watching every night. The Cardinals are watching their guys every night. So they, they do have a better appreciation for these players. Um, But I, I don't think, I think they're in kind of a weird spot because they also for the first time in maybe a decade have top of the line talent that they haven't had and th- it seems like they can't find the balance in making the top of the line talent work for them whether it be on their roster or on someone else's roster for a player that they can put on their roster and getting them at bats at the major league level to show off what they're capable of you know for it, it's funny we talk a lot about how We've, we've had this juggle of outfielders, right? Like mm-hmm. this is the next generation of outfielders and this is the next generation of outfielders. And Viscotti and Gritchick t- and Pham turned into Bader and O'Neal and, uh, you, you know, uh, Dexter Fowler. And, yeah. you know, and now here we are with Carlson and O'Neal and maybe Walker and hopefully Lars Neupahr being every bit as good as he can be. And they're supposed to be the next generation. And throughout this whole process, guys aren't getting at bats to prove that they deserve a spot while other guys are struggling. So my biggest complaint about all this is do something with your excess. Don't Mm -hmm. let that excess, Mm -hmm. that excess go to, to ruin without a real opportunity. And if you can't give it a real opportunity, and if you're, if you have people behind them in the organization to backfill, then utilize these players for something more than just degrading valued prospects. And that's exactly what's happening. So uh, I, I think it's a very delicate balance. I think player development is delicate. I think giving players opportunity is delicate. I think giving your guys at the major league level a, a chance to prove that they're they've failed is delicate. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that the Cardinals stick with their guys sometimes maybe a little too much, and that includes guys that don't even haven't even made a major league debut without thinking about moving them. And I think that that's hurt them in the long run and being competitive and making trades that could really help the team.
1: Yeah, I mean, and you look at—I mean—I think it's really easy to look at Andrew Kisner and say where he is value-wise now versus where he was what two years ago. Yeah. Um, is is huge, and that's in part because he did just didn't get the playing time. Um, and you know, granted, he didn't necessarily grab a hold of what time he did the last year, but I mean, in the development that he had, and you know, kind of getting blocked. And, you know, no offense to Yachty because we all love Yachty, but the organization didn't necessarily do him any favors with, you know, and then there's Herrera coming up behind him and and others coming right behind him that, you know, maybe they could have moved him instead of, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Yachty retires and you have to go out and get a catcher because you don't feel like that anybody on your organization can cover that job.
0: You know, Yvonne Herrera is fascinating. And I've heard you and Mm -hmm. Alan talk about it a lot, like, well, he didn't get much of a chance. Uh, and that's that's a correct assessment. And just talking about how his entire tenure at the major leagues went. And the entire time, you know, all of those points are correct. It was weird. I'm sure it felt weird to him. I'm mm-hmm. sure that there was other stuff going on uh, that that we don't know about. Um, I think maybe maybe those other things that are going on is he just wasn't ready for the major leagues. But what he dealt with was something that outfielders have dealt with in this organization now for almost a decade. Yeah. Just not getting an opportunity. And if there wasn't going to be an opportunity for him, he'd spend a week extra on the 26 man or 25 man back in the day and then get sent down to the minors. And that's what that's, I mean, Lane Thomas, his first taste of the major leagues, he got like 46 at (laughs) bats in 32 games or 25 games or something like that. Like, this is the stuff, even though he was on the major league roster for like 60 days or something like that, like, this is the stuff that's been happening. It's just that it's magnified a catcher because of the Yachty situation and the age. And the the urgency that comes with finding an air presumptive uh, to to quote Rusty mm-hmm. Groppel, um, the air presumptive for Yachty, so it felt extra magnified in my opinion. But yeah, like they there's a lot of players that they have not done they have not put in the best position to be successful at the major league level, and part of that is because of how they've they've hoarded talent uh, at the same positions instead of turning them into something else that will help them.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you know, I'm sure the organization should point to the fact that they don't necessarily have on the whole have huge holes they've got because of these guys, they're good quality floor guys. And so to go out and improve on that makes it difficult. But, you know, at some point in time, you know, having eight, you know, good outfielders is not as helpful as having three really good outfielders, you know, um, you just can't. Cause there's only so many spots you can put somebody at. So uh, until baseball winds up turning into softball even more and putting 10 or 11 people out there in the field, which is probably coming in like five years from now, uh, the way things are going, um, you know, that, that doesn't do you any good and yeah, it eventually hurts you. Like you said.
0: I don't have anything to add to that. It's, you know, the other thing is that they put themselves in a position where they have the next big guy at that position, right? We're Mm -hmm. having this conversation about Jordan Walker and we've already forgot about Alec Burleson who never really got a fair shot. Right. You know? uh, And then when Jordan Walker is firmly in a corner outfield, however that plays out, it'll be, you know, uh, Joshua Baez and we'll be Mm -hmm. freaking out about Joshua Baez and wondering how he gets into the major league roster while Lars Newbar is, on, is only 10% above league average in four years or whatever, you know, right. like, and that that's just, they seem to paint themselves into this and it, it, to get back to like, it's almost like a shiny object to distract us from the fact that they're just not necessarily doing. And again, I'm, you know, me, I'm not one to just mm-hmm. criticize the front office. I, I tried to come at this as lovely as level-headed as possible, but it does feel like it's all just a distraction to distract from the fact that, they aren't as aggressive as they could be or potentially need to be. And I, I say that keeping in mind that I love the Cardinals outfield situation right now. I'm in the minority, but I love it. Um, I, I'm anxious to see how it turns out. And my issue isn't how they enter the season. It's how they adjust in the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's all just to like give perspective that this isn't just blind criticism. Um, it's, it's just something that I've been mulling over trying to articulate a little bit
1: better. It is going to be dependent on how they use him, but you know you talked about Alec Brosson, and you're right; he didn't get a whole lot of opportunity. Is it okay for him to be that fourth outfielder, even if he's only getting you know a start or two a week at the major league level? Because it, I mean, what he did in Memphis last year doesn't feel like there's a whole lot left for him to do down there.
0: Yeah, I I can't answer that question, Daniel. I, it's mm-hmm. my belief that it doesn't do the Cardinals with the options that they have any good to only give him mm-hmm. one start and. And, you know, unless he's getting an extra at bat every night, Um, you know, one of the beautiful things about Alec Burleson is he takes a tough at bat. You know, there's more Brendan Donovan in his game than people understand because they just haven't seen it yet, except for he has uh, an in-game ability to hit the ball harder and more frequently in the air than Brendan Donovan has. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what separates the two at the plate. Honestly, he can use both fields. He adapted, made a huge swing change in order to hit lefties, and we saw that play out in the minors. And just like with Donovan, he has a little bit of batted ball luck because he does hit the ball on the ground, you know, somewhat frequently and it finds holes. But I, I think the way that he finds those holes and his ability to go with a pitch makes him more than just a bit player on a team. So, you know, ideally if he's only getting one started one start a a week, then no, it doesn't do him any good, but it also doesn't do him any good to be down in the minors. It, It doesn't, it'll make, it'll be better for him to go down to the minors than it will be to waste the way on the bench. But you know, he he's always been the professional hitter type that you want in there against a triple A team's best pitcher or the best prospect for a triple A AAA team. And, you know, granted it was spring training, but we've seen him get hits off of some of the toughest pitchers in baseball. And, in September against some of the toughest relievers in baseball. And he's capable of that. He's capable of rising to the moment and having a tough at bat and falling off 14 pitches to get to his pitch. And it's a shame that we've kind of passed up on him and hopefully the Cardinals haven't. And hopefully they're going to give him a fair shake to get more than just three at bats a week at the major league level. Um, I know it's a tough balance because Tyler O'Neill probably deserves that. And hopefully Dylan Carl's put himself in that mm-hmm. position as has Lars Newbar. But I think you have to give him as fair of a shake as any of those three because all of those other three, as much as I love all three of those guys, as much as I personally root for for at least two of those three of those guys, as much as I've created a connection personally with two of three of those guys, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not blind enough to say that it shouldn't be an almost completely open competition in the outfield, even with all that Lars Newbar has done, um, to put himself in a position to be – an impact major leaguer over the last, you know, 18 calendar months. Uh, so my hope is that the Cardinals don't do that thing that they do where, all right, uh, we're in June and Newt has 200 at-bats where he's hitting 200 and O'Neill has 200 at-bats where he's hitting 200 and Carlson, the same thing. And Alec Burleson has 17 at-bats where he's hitting 200, <laughs> you know, like, it's important to me to see them adjust a little bit quicker instead of sticking faith, faith, you know, so faithfully to their players that it hurts them in the long run.
1: You you said something that made me think about a question. I wanted to ask you a little bit ago when we were talking about hype and and players, you've been able to connect, not only with some of these players, but some of these players, families, Um, how do they, Handle this hype stuff. I mean, do they? And I don't. I don't feel like, especially the players. I don't necessarily expect that they buy into it. But for like families, I mean, it's gonna be fun to see. Like you know, for the Walkers to see their son getting all this attention. But you know, there comes that flip side of yeah. the expectations that come with it. Every family's different.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, every family. You know grandparents are different than cousins or different than brothers or different than aunts and uncles are different than parents. Um, so, you know, every family is a little different, every, it seems like every group and their relation to the player is a little bit different. Um, I, I will say that, you know, just thinking about it really quickly, because I try not to think about it a lot because I don't want to get so emotionally invested in the players that I I lose my mm-hmm. my ability to be right. objective. But it always seems like the only time that frustration comes is when uh, a player doesn't get a chance, like just doesn't mm-hmm. get a fair chance while another player is playing terribly. You know, uh, I, I'm, I won't get into the details, but when Dexter Fowler was awful, there. There were a lot of parents, a lot of players, a lot of family members, a lot of teammates of minor leaguers that were frustrated that certain players, you know, not just not just the names that you think of, right. players that aren't in the organization anymore, didn't really get a chance. And the same thing goes with Paul DeYoung. Now, you know, I can't speak for Brendan Donovan. I can't speak for Tommy Edmond. But there were other prospects within the organization that were frustrated and that they never really got a chance or you know and that even that even goes further down into the minors if you have a high a catcher and the catchers above him are terrible and he's not getting any playing time at high a because a guy who signed for 1.3 million dollars is getting all the time at high a as the cardinals you know try to recoup their their bonus money in the form of production uh there's frustration there and that comes across too and then of course when the flip side is when that player is at the major league level and they're getting traded unfairly by fans and being fans are being overly critical of those players, then that's usually where the frustration comes in, too. But other than that, like I, I would say that most people understand it's a business and you have your varying levels of emotional interest and a, a, emotional connection that comes with all of that from, you know, if you are a relative of the player or the player or a significant other of the player, but I, I don't think that it's irrational either. I think a lot of it's just based on like, what they're seeing and they're seeing the same thing that we're seeing. It's just that they have the emotional connection that makes it more frustrating.
1: This is just random too, but do most of the families that you've connected with, do they reach out to you because they know what you do or do you reach out to them just to to get a little bit more information? I don't reach out to anyone.
0: I have a, Mm -hmm. I have a fundamental rule. I do not reach out to anyone. Um, sense. I, I I don't want that. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's usually the opposite, you know, uh, they'll, they'll reach out to me cause my DMs are open. And you know, I, the one thing is we talk about bias and, uh, objectivity. I, I feel lucky that it's, it hasn't been like, oh, this person reached out to me. Now I like them. Right. It's, I, I give these people credit because usually when they, when they begin to address you, when they begin to engage with you, it's, Thank you for saying this. Thank you for giving an honest evaluation. Uh, you know, th- there is a player within the organization that I won't name. And I guess I guess technically there's, <laughs> Jesus, technically there's three players within the organization who <laughs> have told, uh, again, like this seems so self-serving. I don't really feel no, comfortable. But that's
1: talking. not what you're going with. That's fine.
0: But, you know, it's just like the contact that they make is, hey, this opened my eyes. Or, mm. hey, I appreciate you sticking up for my X skill. And from there, you can have, you know, I, I, I like I'll say, hey, it's my pleasure. You know, I'm sorry for embarrassing you. I'm sorry that you have to follow this disaster of a train wreck that <laughs> is my account. Um, but yeah, and then if, if they keep engaging, then I might engage a little bit more and more. But I, again, I, I pride myself in objectivity. So I I'm always trying to keep it at arm's length. Um, of course then you're sitting with the family as their kids hitting their first home run at Bush stadium. (laughs) And you're like, how did I get here? What the hell's going on? Uh, but, uh, yeah, so it all kind of like, it all kind of circles back around, but no, I, I have a fundamental rule that I do not reach out to a player or a players, family member or anything. And that I try to go out of my way to not engage in more conversation until I feel like I'm at a point where it's beyond just, uh, Influence trying to be had,
1: and by the time they get to Bush Stadium, your job's done anyway. So exactly, you, know, you can you can you can sit there with them. So um. and, and real fast, and to be candid, that's why in the prospect <laughs> list,
0: I'm usually pretty quick about removing players once they make a major league debut. Uh, yeah. That's I mean, candidly, it's not just because I like talking about those players that are further down that you might not have heard of. It's it's also because a lot of these guys I've been covering for two to five years and I've, I've made some type of connection with them or a family member uh, as, as they've climbed the ladder and it's time for me to be able to be a fan of them instead of an evaluator of them.
1: Yeah. And that's, that, that's, that's really good policy to have, I think. And, uh, and it, and it works. Uh, it obviously works very well. Um, we're at, we're at 50 minutes and we haven't even talked about the prospect list yet. Um, and I don't want to go into it in depth. You've got everything you've got five and down of the dirty 50, uh, plus however many extra, um, up on birds of the black, you're tweeting out a different amount. I don't know how this is working for you, but I'm, it's very cool. Um, mm. you, you can sh- sh- share, share, uh, different things at different days. Um, let's talk about the top five because I know you haven't put out the top four, but everybody kind of knows these names. Um, you and I were talking about beforehand. It's a little bit different when you get to that top spot of writing for those things, right? I mean, you, there's a little bit more attention, a little bit more detail that you're going to put into those than maybe some of the earlier ones.
0: Yeah. I, especially with this group, uh, you know, in the past, what I would always do, it, it, the Cardinals have been in a pretty unique situation since I've I've started writing where they they always have a a pretty clear number one prospect, like Mm -hmm. one and two might have a jumbled spot. Like last year, you know, I basically had one A as Gorman and one B as Walker. And the difference was I felt more comfortable with one defensively than I felt the other, even though I knew Walker was a better hitter. Gorman's power was more present. Uh, So like that's, you have those situations, but usually one is pretty set in stone. And when one's set in stone, it's probably a player that we've talked about in great detail, not just myself but everybody. So that was always just like a GIF unload. I would just all the GIFs that I would make. I'd I, just be this player is really good. I'm not going to spend any more time typing. I'm just going to show you how good he is. <laughs> and I would say that because of the Jordan Walker situation, I'm I'm changing how I do that this year. His write up is going to be probably the most in depth. Uh, And as we as we work our way back to five, which was Gordon Graceffo, uh, as I published that over on Birds on the Black Mm -hmm. today, uh, there they are probably more involved than they've ever been. And that's for two reasons. One, because prospects two through five in particular could be, in my opinion, in any order. I don't I I made a point in the articles to say Mm -hmm. that it should be two A, B, C and D, not two, three, four and five. That's just my personal opinion. They all do things differently. Uh, You have two hitters two position players and two pitchers in there and they are three pitchers and one position player in there. Sorry. And they all just kind of do things a little bit different, which make them new unique, which means that really when they're this high level of talent, you're just kind of pulling straws at what you like the most about them. Um, And you know, because of that, I feel like I have to be as thorough with these guys as possible Because, you know, Cooper Jerpy being the outlier, as someone who the Cardinals first round draft pick in 2022 out of Oregon State, who has not made an organizational debut yet, Uh, but they all have real hype on them and they all deserve to be top 100 prospects in baseball, who, and uh, including Jerpy, all, all four of those guys, hence included, are probably within... 24 to 36 months of being, making a major league debut, you know, uh, on the short end, there's a real chance that Gordon Grisefo could break with the big league club from spring training. Um, you know, Jerpy's probably a year away from being in the position that Graceffo in now, uh, but we could always also, depending on how they, they throttle his innings, there's always a chance we could see Jerpy at the major league level by the end of the year. Uh, and you know me, I'm not one to hype a prospect like this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, ever, but he is that good. He has that potential. Uh, it's just a matter of how how and if he wears down because we saw, we've saw we seen all of these kids wear down um, that go from their first collegiate year to their first full season in affiliated baseball. Uh, and then, hence, who is the only, you know, Mason Wynn, we'll see, we'll start talking about, I would imagine we'll talk about throughout the entire year being in a position to make a major league debut, but it'll be realistic it's starting at spring training next year, I would assume. Um, and then you have hence, who's a little further away, but also on a fast track. And we'll probably start the year at Peoria, although there's always a chance that the Cardinals get aggressive and start him at Springfield if he's showing that he's he's ready for it. But I think it's safe to say you're talking about Peoria-Springfield this year and then Springfield-Memphis the following year and then Memphis Major Leagues the year after. So, you know, within 36 six six months, all of these guys are going to be Major League contributors if they're healthy. So I feel like I need to pump in as much information as possible. And I also feel like looking back, something I've, I've been pretty critical of myself of is I have not been as good about articulating some of the deficiencies of the premier prospect, prospect number one. And this plays into hype. Uh, this is me taking responsibility for my side of overhyping prospects. This is me trying to counteract just gifting highlights every night that I can give. Uh, I'm going to give as honest of an appraisal of the deficiencies of those five prospects as I can. And hopefully that creates real dialogue about what we can expect and what a player needs to do to get better. They know what they need to do to get better. The Cardinals know what they need to do to get better or to, to maximize their skill, but fans don't because we're so focused on the good uh, that we forget that the game of baseball is built on failure to keep going to that. And that it's easier to fail than it is to succeed.
1: Yeah, very much so. And I I agree. I mean, you know I, I the to what I hear because I'm much more casual at this than, than anybody else of course but you know you start hearing about Jordan Walker and you start expecting him never to ever strike out um, and that's obviously not the case yeah. Um, so yeah po- pointing out the deficiencies is, is a good thing yeah
0: and again it's not gonna, it's I'm not I'm not gonna pile on I'm not gonna be unfair yeah. you know I'm just I, and all I'm doing is giving observations you know I'm not I I try my hardest to make a point to say, these are just what I, this is just what I'm observing and it doesn't necessarily mean I'm right or I'm wrong. This is just like what I see. And we have an off season of a 20 year old and what do we have it? Three 20 year olds, a 20, a soon to be 22 year old and a 21 year old in the top five that, uh, who an entire three months of winter can be the difference in between a, a lot of growth or a, a lot of the opposite direction.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you, you do watch all these guys. I mean, you watch them every night, whether Keith law believes you or not. Mm. Um, So, um, you know, it's an informed opinion. I think that's the biggest thing that, and, and, you know, we've talked about this before probably every time you're on the show, but that is something that we get as Cardinal fans with you watching it all the time that you can't get on the national prospect because, they just don't see, they, they can't focus on the Cardinal guys as much because I've got 30, you know, 29 other teams to look at too. Yeah. So, you know, getting that depth and, and, and seeing what goes right and what goes wrong, um, you know, on the regular is, is a good thing.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's all we're trying to do. We're just trying to give mm-hmm. another look and, uh, be as honest in our appraisals as possible. And, you know, I don't. I don't want people to lose excitement about these players. It's it's worth getting excited about everyone, and I I hope that that's not something that I'm doing. Or you know, I like with Jordan Walker in particular. I, I I have my what I would call concerns, but they're not real concerns. It's just a matter of like, this is what I'd like to see him clean up. If I was running the Cardinals development system, this is what I would focus on, uh, because he's going to be special, and I have no doubt about that. And I hope I hope fans are excited about it. And I, I don't want that to go away either. So uh it's a delicate balance.
1: There's nobody out there, I assume, that the Cardinals will pull a Jordan Hicks with, right? Pulling them up from A-ball straight to the major leagues. And I mean, right now, and do you think they will ever do that again? Not that it didn't turn out, but Yeah,
0: I do, I do think. And now <sighs> I think it just comes down to veteran leadership, right? Uh, yeah. how, how they trust their veteran leadership. If, if I guess Wilson Contreras now, if Wilson Contreras mm-hmm. goes to the Cardinals and says, this guy's special, he, he's, he's major league ready. Then yeah, I, I still think John Mazelok and Oliver, Oliver Marmol, if he feels that way, because Oliver, Ali is still uh, steering the ship. I think if they still feel that way, if, if they have that dialogue and they feel comfortable with that assessment, I do think something like that will happen. You know, that's, it, it's. I don't think it's likely to happen, and I think opportunities would need to be available for it to happen. You know, mm-hmm. that Hicks thing that was that was a perfect storm of him being effective and unique and stronger, and uh, an opportunity presenting itself. And I think now, if like say, uh, you know, Austin Love, the Cardinals' third round draft pick from 2021, uh, he's a big righty that I'm. I was very. I was very cautious to be optimistic about when they drafted him, who now I am very bullish on if he goes from Peoria and ends up making a couple really impressive appearances uh, in spring training. I I think what that'll do is instead of him going from Peoria to Springfield, that'll push him from Peoria to Memphis. I think, I think that's more likely, but I don't think that it's something the Cardinals would ever rule out if they thought that they had a deficiency that needed addressing.
1: Well, I'm and sure an he'd answer,
0: love and, and an answer, you know, to address it.
1: Yeah, well, I'm I'm sure he'd love to see that. So, um, but that that's the close. I, I went like an hour and I didn't get any puns in. So, that's I'm terrible. Worried. I know. Just I know. Ter- I, know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: um, I know it was perfect, Daniel. Thank yeah, you. Yeah.
1: You know, it's very interesting because you know I've, I've followed along with you for years now, and it's very interesting because the names on the 50 this year, I, I know a lot of them just at least by, at least by name, but there are some names that are, that are really kind of new. Um, what kind of name, what kind of people that that kind of the not big names were you most excited to put on the list this year?
0: No, oh, man. You know um, I, it's a lot of the older players. Some of the guys names mm-hmm. we've already talked about, like, someone like Nick Dunn, who I've, I've joked around on other podcasts about being completely annoyed with, but you know, <laughs> he's, I think he's 42nd or 43rd on the prospect. I think I put him 42nd. Uh, I mean, and that's another thing we'll get into here in a second, but like, um, like he is a 25, 26 year old second base prospect who hasn't really played anywhere else on the diamond who hits left-handed and kind of just slaps the ball around everywhere. makes a ton of contact every once in a while, runs into some pop. Like, I like the fact that I can talk about him. He's but honestly, he's part of the reason why the list is 50 deep. I thought, this is somebody I want to talk about. You know, uh, Jack Ralston, who is 50 point B or whatever I did there, <laughs> uh, is a prospect I've always been high on. The Cardinals drafted him in the seventh round out of UCLA. And that he he's a six foot six or six foot eight righty who throws the ball like a windmill, who just got stalled out by some injuries following the 2020 lost uh, MILB season of COVID, who when he's healthy and commanding the ball, does some really good things with it. Um, you know, you work your way down. This is the first time I've been aggressive with some of the kids uh, that have not made it overseas yet. You know, on um, yellow Encarnacion had a huge WRC plus for uh, the Dominican Summer League team. Uh, Jose Suarez is a prospect that everybody's gonna want to get to know because he hits you know he had like a 240 batting average but he crushes everything he makes contact with he's a big outfielder who's 17 18 years old uh being aggressive about those guys is exciting and then like I said some of those older players you know getting to getting to really get into detail about Chandler Redmond and Matt Kaperniak, mm-hmm. uh catching prospect Nick Raposo um, again uh, chase pinder uh, who I I love and I really think'd be a sleeper if given an opportunity especially in spring training. Um Luke and Baker who a year ago we were all wondering if he'd get DH at bats and now we've all kind of cast off. Um like mm-hmm. talking about his potential and where he's at. Like it's all of those guys which of course say nothing for the the 2022 draft picks that are in there, the the you know aside from uh Cooper Jerpy, um uh Pete Hansen and Bryson Mouts, the Cardinals uh third and second round pick respectively, uh a- along with one of my favorite Pitching prospects, Max Raychick uh, from UCLA, who the Cardinals drafted in the sixth round of 2022. Like it's, it's all of those guys. And it's just, I get excited about writing about all of them and, and talking about all of them.
1: Yeah. It's, and it's, it's fun to see those names again, knowing that, you know, maybe they will make a debut. Maybe they won't, but you you know, playing, playing it single a, is something playing at double a is something even more. And, you know, we've, you know, we go in that too, but you know, if you can make a step up a ladder, it just means you're doing something right. And, you know, maybe that's what you tell your kids. I play double a ball and that's, that's still more than, you know, what m- millions of people can say. So, yeah. uh, to, to get a little bit of attention for that is, is pretty cool.
0: Yeah. I, there, there was an article, I think Rob Raines wrote it. I can't remember for sure. Maybe Mark Saxon, but, uh,
1: Mm -hmm. oh well there goes our show
0: every time every time I I try to (laughs) and I didn't even mean to do it this time but uh Rob Rains, I think wrote an article and he talked he just like some of the players that played on the Peoria team with Albert Pujols and you know players that I had Mm -hmm. don't remember you know uh, but and some of those guys are just like their claim to fame is I played with Albert Pujols in high a you know and that's what they tell their kids and that's what they tell the the kids that they're coaching uh for the high school or whatever select team they're they're coaching or travel ball team like Exactly. It's, it's just exciting that these people are getting a chance to try to, you know, realize a dream.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, if you were to guess who the first prospect or who the first person coming up this year would be, um, or maybe somebody that makes the, the roster uh, kind of like Polante did last year. Uh, who, who do you think it is? Because I, I mean, I'm, I feel like it's probably not the big names.
0: Yeah, uh, what I'll say, this is what I'll say, is I, on the dirty, as you know, and I'm sure most mm-hmm. of your audience knows, I, I don't have any, anybody who's made a major league debut is off of the dirty. So we'll exclude them from this conversation. Right. And I did not talk about, I did not put them on the the the, the 50 man, the, the 50, the dirty 50, I, but like The Cardinals' rule five pick, uh, Wilking Rodriguez, who will certainly break with the team because he's a rule five pick. You know, I I do think those, the the relievers are where it gets really interesting. You know, uh, I think, I still think Jake Walsh, who does not count in this conversation, I still think he's going to play a big role um, with the big league club, whether it be as a, you know, a go between between the majors and Memphis. I still think he's going to play a huge role, but it it really does come down to like Wilking uh, Rodriguez. Uh, Guillermo Zuniga. And I, I, the more I watch of that independently pitcher that the Cardinals signed, 27-year-old Logan Sawyer, who throws a fastball and a split finger and a split finger change, I could – and everything's at a pretty high velocity with a lot of movement. Like, he might be the guy. And we, we focused a lot on Ryan Laudis, uh, mm-hmm. undrafted free agent from 2021, who rose through the organization and was pitching for Memphis by the end of the year last year. Uh, and who throws at a high velocity although his fastball is very hittable uh, as at the end of 2022 Uh, he's tinkered with it from is my understanding and it's better than it was so we'll see how that goes but like those are the guys you know I I I think that it would take uh, injuries like real injuries ahead of uh, ahead of like you know some of the names like it would it would take something crazy for Mason Wynn to make the major league club. I I hope the Cardinals are smart enough that they'd use some of those relief options before they started putting Gordon Graceffo. I do not rule Gordon Graceffo out of an early major league debut. Like if I had to go with one of the high dollar prospects, you know, it, it really comes down to Graceffo and Walker You know, the Cardinals are going to give Walker every opportunity to break with the big league club. They're going to give him every opportunity to push those other outfielders out of a position. You know, part of me wonders mentally, honestly, from the rhetoric coming from the Cardinals organization, if they're banking on Jordan Walker uh, more than they're banking on Carlson or O'Neill. even though they'll talk about Mm -hmm. expecting big years from both of those. You know, when I hear the organization talk about Walker, it sounds to me, honestly, uh, candidly, it sounds to me like Lars Newbar and Jordan Walker are the only two that they have written in that outfield right now. Um, and with, with hoping that they don't have to write Walker's name in. Like that's, that's how it sounds to me. So I, I think that if you're talking about the top of the line prospects, I think it's pretty easy to say that it, it'll come down to Graceffo and Walker, but don't discredit any of those relief pitchers. You know, even some of the guys who haven't made it above double-A, uh, Andre Granillo, uh, Andrew Marrero, Gianluca Delatri, if those guys have made huge steps, uh, there's no reason to be suppressive. Uh, Freddie Pacheco, who still has not made a major league debut, uh, he's a top, you know, 11 prospect for me in the organization, a big righty who goes fastball slider. It's those guys that I think will, will probably have the earliest impact on the big league roster.
1: You mentioned Graceffo coming up as a reliever. We have seen that in the past be a little bit more permanent than we would probably like on some people. Um, Jordan Hicks, Ryan Helsley, Trevor Rosenthal, you can go way back. Does the fact that the Cardinals, at least as of this moment, um, only have one pitcher in the starting rotation under contract, make you a little less worried that they would stick with him in the bullpen if that's what they went with?
0: A little less, yeah. Not not as much as I otherwise would like. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, the, with the bullpen being as volatile as it is, I honestly, you know, I have such high hopes and such a strong belief in Grassefo, not only as a, a pitcher, but as a young man and, and as a competitor, uh, that – I think he's going to be so good out of the bullpen that I don't think that they're going to have the gumption to pull him out of the role, you know, and then with the volatility of a bullpen arm in the first place. And, you know, I, I believe in Helsley and I believe in Hicks. I believe in Gallegos. I worry about him uh, because of the pitch clock, maybe more so Mm -hmm. than I should be. And then I, you know, some of that other depth, why I like a lot of the other right-handed options are all just kind of unproven. Uh, and then, you know, I think about what we're hearing this spring, you know, our, as we enter spring, they're talking about Libertor, they're talking about Thompson, they're talking about Palante, they're talking about Woodford, they're talking about all of what I would consider to be back end to uh, swing type uh, potential s- starters, trying to get innings from Dakota Hudson, uh, Drew Verhagen, although Verhagen is a free agent after this year. Mm-hmm. And again, you don't want to put too much pressure on your prized right-handed arm, but I, what that tells me at least if I'm reading between the lines is that they are once again, overvaluing some of their pitching prospects and those prospects ability to start while ignoring the, the golden goose that they have in their laps.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's always fascinating to see how, what the decisions they make and, and who they hang on to and things we've kind of gone with, but um, hopefully hopefully that doesn't hopefully he's not the next name in a long line of 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 people that have stayed in the bullpen but we shall see all right we're about done with this one but while i got you how how focused how excited are you for march 1st and the third season of the mandalorian
0: i can't wait man i'm excited uh you know i've i've tried my hardest daniel to not really delve or dive too deep into the trailers because mm-hmm. i want every moment to be as amazing and as exciting as it possibly can um and i i i'm i wish we could binge it right away i'm glad we're not but i wish we could binge it right away because i cannot wait to dive in and see mandalore and and all of that how, how are you where are you at
1: yeah i'm excited about it i mean you know whenever <clears throat> to be able to pull from Clone Wars, mm-hmm. to be able to pull from Rebels um, into some of this Mandalore stuff. Uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what they do and, um, you know, maybe not have to be setting up something else. Because um, they've already, you know, brought in Ahsoka and her show coming up later this year. and But I don't think we'll have a whole lot of tie there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it's, you know, <laughs> I think it, it feels like, at least for most people, that the Mandalorian is the show that they've done the best so far. And you know, if that's the case, then you you got to be excited for another year of it. Yeah, I think
0: I think there's a portion of the the Star Wars fan base that would say Andor, I still think mm, it's man yeah. Mandalorian uh D- no, my question to you daniel is do you think we'll get an episode of boba fett uh about four <laughs> episodes into the mandalorian
1: yeah we're just gonna have this you know this idea we're gonna go back to tatooine because they have to go back to tatooine at some yeah. point in time and <laughs> yeah we're, we're gonna see uh you know what boba's doing uh and then you know at the very end you know mando flies by and goes on to Mandalore, or something <laughs> like that I don't oh, know. Well, should be funny. yeah and i i man i i I kind of would like to see them do a second season of Boba Fett. Me too. Um, but, you know, that's the thing with the streaming services. And, and this is maybe a bigger thing is we could talk about with Marvel and stuff like that is if they're not willing to put on two shows at once, this gets a little crazy. Right. I mean, it's been what's it been two years now since we've seen, you know, except for that episode of Boba Fett, two or three yeah. years now since the second season of Mandalorian. You know, if if you try to put a a second season of Boba Fett together now, because it's not been announced, assuming they're not working on it, you're talking about, you know, 2026 or something like that. You've already forgotten what happened in the first season. I'd, I'd like a little less lead time between these things.
0: Yeah, me too. And I hadn't thought about it until you worded it that way. It almost makes me wonder if, you know, if that almost plays into the decision to wait three years so that you have more people streaming it as you lead into the debut of a new season, another month worth of
1: subscriptions or whatever. Um, I, yeah. I have no doubt that it, there's a plan in there. Um, and that very well may be part of it for sure. So, um, anyway, do you what, think, what more, go ahead.
0: Do you think that they're I mean, I saw the poster today that came out where it was, you know, the Mandalorian Mando and Bo-Katan. Do you think mm-hmm. that that is basically the, the antithesis of what the, uh, protagonist antagonist dynamic is going to be with, you know, of course, Other elements in the background for the season.
1: Yeah, there's going to be a bit of that for sure. I think I can't see I can't see like a a drawn out battle against them. You know, doesn't will they scrap a little bit maybe? But it's not like okay, somebody's going down to to rule Mandalore. There's going to be some plot device or something like that that you know moves the dark saber or whatever the case may be. You know, we're not going to have a because people are, are kind of invested in Bo-Katan and they're obviously invested in, you know, the guy that's the title character. So I, I have problems believing they're going to try to, you know, kill off somebody. Um, and that's, so, yeah, I, I'd be interested to see how those machinations work because, yeah, there's going to be, there's going to be some conflict there.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I'm um, right, what Marvel show are you looking forward to? Or Loki 2.
0: You know, I went back yeah. and watched the first season of Loki again and I think I loved it more. What, what about you?
1: Um yeah i think that's that one's good um i'm trying to think what's coming up later this year secret invasion should be pretty interesting yeah.
0: when are you going to um, watch ant-man
1: thinking right now thursday night um yeah. if i don't do it thursday night then that'll be sometime in the next, the week after that probably because i just don't have time that weekend but um i that's that's kind of intriguing to me to see how that because that feels like that's really going to be okay we're done setting up little things here and there. Now we're going to put a focus, and this is this is how we're going to start it off.
0: Yeah, I'm I, I'm going to try to see it on Thursday, and that's that's why I'm excited. Uh, if we have good weather, I'll I'll definitely see it on Thursday if okay. I can, because it seems focused, mm-hmm. and we yeah. haven't had that yet, other than the first season of Loki, really.
1: Yeah, that's that's true. I enjoyed Miss Marvel, um, yeah. but and I w- I'm very interested to see how that. You know how that plays into the movie that they've got coming up but mm-hmm. um yeah I, I i think that um Ant and you know it's it feels like it's gonna be a little bit different i've enjoyed the first two ant-mans because they've been kind of a little bit lighthearted and a little bit you know just kind of the fun caper type things yeah. so to see it to be a little bit more serious that's that's gonna be a twist and we'll see how it plays out
0: yeah, yeah i'm with you I'm, I'm i'm really excited about ant-man it just it feels different and maybe that's Maybe that's because we did get a little taste of Jonathan majors and it was incredible. In my opinion, I thought it was, it was captivating.
1: And I know you're a DC guy as well. Um, Are you excited about the fact that there's a flash trailer coming out this weekend?
0: I forgot about it. I did see that. I saw the, uh, the poster today Mm -hmm. and, uh, yes. uh, (laughs) Ah, yes. And no, I trust James Gunn. Um, I, knowing what I know about the flashpoint comic, it gets me excited that they are going to use it as a jumping on point for the James Gunn DC universe. Um, I, I know that James Gunn has talked very highly of it said, it's one of the best superhero hero films ever. Uh, I'm, I'm really just anxious for Michael Keaton. If I'm being 100% honest, yeah. I I'm anxious to see what kind of gruff version of old Batman we get from Michael. Keaton.
1: <laughs> that would be, it, it feels like they would have done a Batman beyond if they hadn't switched over. Yeah. Um, to kind of revamp, revamping stuff, and he would have been that kind of guy. But
0: uh, what about I'm you interested. with the DC stuff? Where are you at?
1: I'm what not as much. I'm not as much on it. I um, I've watched you know both Wonder Woman. I've watched uh, Aquaman. I've watched Shazam, and and those I liked. I didn't do the Snyderverse part, I guess, as well. Um, and part of me thought about going back to it, but now that it's being kind of rewritten, um, I'll probably watch The Flash when it comes out on streaming but I don't yeah. know i I'll get to the, the movie theater for that. So um, I'm still, you know, I watched the flash on TV, but I'm still a year or so behind on it too. So, um, you know, that's what happens when you get old. So
0: I wouldn't know. Sorry.
1: Yeah, I know. I know. And you know, hopefully someday you do. Um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> we'll see. All right, Kyle. It's as always been a blast to talk to you and I, it's always fun. Uh, we need to do it more often.
0: Hey, I, if I can, if I can leave with two things real fast. Yes, you can. Um, I would like to promote our good friend Kareem Ssn and Cardinals Reeks on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I don't know what the website is. Uh, I apologize, but the the two people who put it out are at Kareem K A R E E M S S N, and at Cardinals Reeks. So Cardinals and then Reeks R E E K S. Uh, they put out their top 12 Cardinals prospects in the organization with it's heavily data driven and it is phenomenal work. And if you're on Twitter, you should follow both of those young men, th- both of those gentlemen, they're incredibly talented. Um, and you should read the article because it is worth consuming and it is thorough and it is brilliant. Uh, it's on, then,
1: it's on medium.com. You, yeah. But find the link on Cardinal Reek, or, and uh, ben, our friend, Ben Cerruti just re- re- treated it uh, again today as well. So.
0: And then the other, the other thing is our boy, Blake Newberry, I'd like to give a shout out to uh, who does stuff for Viva Alberto's and the Cardinal nation. All, you know, he's so incredibly talented. And the, I, I bring them up because I'm getting to a point now where I can see an end to all of this for me. And that gets me very excited because these kids are better than I was at that age. They're better than I am now. And uh, you guys are going to be in good hands in a very short period of time as they make little key adjustments with, uh, with some of this stuff here and there. And I'm, I'm just so impressed by what they're doing. And uh, again, just spend a little bit of time looking into it because it's top of the line. I, I, I would imagine that from a data-driven perspective, the data is so hard to get and they have the data, which is the first step to all of it. Um, but uh, I, there probably aren't a whole lot of other organizations that have that type of uh prospect data being disseminated and uh, in in a very mature fashion too. And I'm just so proud of those guys. They they're all doing awesome work. And then the last thing I want to say is uh these last couple months have been really crazy for me between um just more exposure uh, on a little bit more of a a real, um, uh, I guess, accessible level. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to take a second to thank you, and Alan, and to blame you so that all these people know <laughs> that this all this is all because of you and gifts. Uh, but no, like, again, the people who hate me, this is all your fault, you and gifts. <laughs> but uh, I, I would like to give a public thank you to you and Alan. Because, uh, you know, you guys you guys have always supported me i you were the first podcast I, I was on you were the first person to be uh very kind and welcoming to me uh you do it with all of us and we're all thankful for you all of us bloggers and people who are part of this community and uh you know I, you know as i'm at winter warm-up with my idols and journalism and as i'm talking to players that i've made connections with over the years and have not to ever talked to over the years and then as i'm on 101 and 590 over the years and uh, you know talking to scouts that are writing for other uh, other publications and like it's a surreal thing that when i step back and think about i can completely blame on you and i just want to make sure that you're taking your end of the responsibility for it
1: I think you overstate uh, any kind of influence that I might have in all this. But if I had anything to do with it, I am very glad that we did. Because the organ, the whole fan base is, is smarter, is more informed, um, and is probably a little corrupted because uh-huh. of... Uh, <laughs> of having you around. Um, so thank you. I appreciate it. But I, I do think that it may be a bit overstated. Um speaking of Blake Newberry, he is going to join me at the end of March. So I'm looking forward. I haven't actually I saw Blake at the at Blogger Day this year, but I haven't had a talk to him. So I'm looking forward to that. Next week uh, we have our old friend and I can say that because he's an old man like me. <laughs> Alex Chrisfully is going to join us. So uh look forward to that. But until next time for Kyle, I'm Daniel. Good night night he hits it in the air to left field back is chavez at the wall this ball is gone two run home
0: run yadier molina
1: and saint louis takes a three to one ninth oh, yeah. inning game seven lead